Welcome to Hempire. I'm your host, Gabby Boudreaux, co-founder of Divine Elements. Check out our CBD and botanical wellness selection online at mydivineelements.com, where you can use the code wellness20 for 20% off your first order. Terpenes, or terps for short, is one of the hottest topics in the cannabis world right now. They are known for their intoxicating aromas that create that infamous weed smell. They also contribute to the flavor of cannabis, giving different strains their scent and flavor profiles that can be characterized as such famous descriptors like diesel, fruity, sour, pine, citrus, minty, and the list just keeps going. But did you know that terpenes also pack a punch in the medicinal side of cannabis? I am so excited for y'all to meet today's guest. He earned his PhD from UCLA in 2009 in the lab of Dr. Yibin Wang, where he studied the signal transduction cascades linking heart stress to heart failure. In 2012, he joined the faculty at the University of New England, where he combined the threads of his training into a research program focused on the signal transduction cascades of the opioid, cannabinoid, and other brain-relevant receptors mostly in the context of pain. He joined the faculty of the University of Arizona in 2015, where he continues his work today. Recently, his research program has focused on the effects of terpene compounds found in cannabis sativa. In a recent paper published in the journal Scientific Reports, his lab found that alpha-humulene, beta-pinene, linalool, and geraniol produce cannabinoid-like effects in mice. This work recently secured funding from the National Institutes of Health to investigate terpenes as a non-opioid, non-cannabinoid treatment for chronic pain with reduced side effects. He is the Chief Science Officer for Divine Element CBD and my friend, Dr. John Stryker. It is a pleasure to finally have you on Hempire. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Gabby. It's really good to be here. Thank you for the invitation and the opportunity. Yes, we're so happy to have you on. So you and your team just published a research paper in the journal mm -hmm. Scientific Reports called Cannabis Sativa Terpenes Are Cannabinomimetic and Selectively Enhanced Cannabinoid Activity. There's a lot going on <laughs> just in the title of your paper there. Yeah. So, um, so we're going to go over some of the excerpts from your research paper um, so we can begin to just start, you know, scratching the surface. Uh, regarding terpenes and their potential therapeutic properties. But why don't we um, just start with some of the basics? So let's start with the word um, cannabimimetic, since right. that is most likely a foreign word for most. Right. Can you can you just please explain what constitutes a cannabimimetic compound for us? Right. So um, a mimic mimetic looks like so basically a cannabimimetic compound is one that looks like a cannabinoid. Now what does look like mean? Not physically looks like, but produces effects like a cannabinoid when ingested, injected, whatever. You know, we're still trying to figure out a lot of those details. So in other words, we injected mice with these terpenes and the effects on their behavior looked a lot like a cannabinoid. They're not cannabinoids. So terpenes, even though they're found in cannabis, as well as basically every other plant in existence, uh, they are not cannabinoids, so they're not synthesized by the cannabinoid enzymes like, uh, or the, yeah, the cannabinoid synthesis enzymes in cannabis. They're not made through that pathway. 
they're different, they're found in other plants. Uh, so they're not cannabinoids, but they did have these cannabinoid-like effects when we injected them in vivo. Uh, or sorry, we, we injected them in mice. I'll try to avoid the scientific jargon. So please call me out if I, if I use too much of it. Um, and, and, and that was kind of our, our basic finding from this was that when you inject these terpenes, the alpha-humulene, the beta-pinene, um, uh, geraniol, linalool, they look a lot like cannabinoids in terms of the effects that they produce. Okay, so so we know that cannabimimetic compounds are compounds other than cannabinoids that produce similar effects in the body um, as cannabinoids do. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, so apparently there are a lot of cannabimimetic compounds. So now that we know uh, what a cannabimimetic compound is, let's let's start exploring terpenes. Okay. Um, so we know that terpenes are a compound found in cannabis, uh, but they're, they're not only found in cannabis, um, they're found in, in many other botanicals, I believe. Um, yep. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, can no, you give us right. a, okay, cool. So can you give us a brief description of what terpenes really are and um, the history of our use with terpenes? They're, they're interesting chemicals. So there are a lot of them, first of all. Uh, there's about 150 to 160 of them that have been found in cannabis alone. And, and not all terpenes are in every strain or at the same levels in every strain, right? Like, you know, indica versus sativa and so on, like different strains will have different blends of these terpenes. And actually, once you know that what terpenes, one of their main effects is to produce flavor and smell, like you mentioned earlier, um, you know, not all cannabis looks, smells, and tastes the same. So it would make sense that different strains of cannabis would have these, these different terpenes. So this role has not been a mystery, right? So people have known about these chemicals, these small, simple chemicals. There's a lot of them. They produce these strong scents and aromas and flavors. They've been known, these have been known about for, for many decades. What has not been known, what we're trying to get into is the, you know, what, what, the, what whether they might have any medicinal effects. Uh, and this ties into, I think we'll probably talk about it a little bit later, but this ties into the idea of the entourage effect that you can have the different components in cannabis besides just THC or CBD that are contributing to the effect. And maybe you might have a different effect when you have a different strain because that different strain is gonna have a different blend of these different cannabinoid and non-cannabinoid chemicals inside the plant. Okay, so terpenes are essentially, um, they, they produce a scent and they are found in many botanicals. Um, they, they are found in different ratios and different strains, different cultivars um, of different plant species. Mm -hmm. um, and they have been used historically, correct? Um, with specific therapeutic uses, is that right? Yeah, so the, the most common historical and current use would be in essential oils. So essential oil is you basically are taking a chemical extract of this plant with, a, with, a, with an oil, really. Um, and a lot of what you pull out are these terpene compounds. So essential oils have a very, as anyone who's used them knows, has a really, have really strong scents, very powerful because they're kind of concentrated levels of terpene. So whatever aroma and smell that you would normally get just from smelling the plant, that gets concentrated in, you know, really exacerbated in an essential oil. So that's how most people kind of come across these things. And people, so, but that kind of leads us to a potential problem is there's uh, a lot of claims that are being made about essential oils and by proxy terpenes and what they do. And there is something to that. So there is, you know, scientific literature performed, you know, not just one paper either, many papers that have been performed using essential oils and the terpenes in the essential oils to then uh, to show some sort of benefit, like a linalool from lavender producing sort of a hypnotic or, or not hypnotic is not the right word, but like a sedative type effect. 
um, you know, others producing pain relief and, and so on, which we'll probably get more into. Uh, but there's some problems. And so one problem is, is that there's a certain type of person that will really overpromise what these essential oils can do. So I, you know, by way of exaggeration, some people would say, yes, take these if you have cancer, it will cure your cancer. Now that's probably not very many people say that, but there's people do tend to overpromise what these can do. And so they really need to be tested and investigated to figure out what it is they actually do. And they do do something because there's, as I said, a very heavy concentration of terpenes in these essential oils. Um, and then the other problem is one of, I would call it standardization. So when one person over here makes an extract and another person over here makes an extract, even of the same strain of plant, they're gonna come up, usually gonna come up with a, a, an essential oil, an extract that has different blends or different mix of, of the terpenes in each one. And so sometimes it, you, you can be, have the same strain, but you know, minor differences like the humidity, that it was grown in or you know, you know, other environmental factors, minor substrain differences people don't know about or, or differences in how the extraction is done. Like, are you using like a supercritical CO2 or are you using like oil? Like all these different kind of variables turn into a variable product. And then, so when someone comes along at me that wants to test us and say, hey, was there really anything going on here? Part of the problem is then there's this variability. Um, and, and that's another sort of goal of my project and my work is I didn't use an essential oil. I didn't use this variable stuff. We took the purified terpene itself, the, the purified chemical compound started at the very beginning and said, what are these doing? Yeah. So, and that, that brings me to um, another point that we've touched on a little bit on, on other, uh, other episodes, but yes, the uh, biochemical makeup of every individual plant that is grown is always different depending on its environment. So yeah. yes, you can get a, a, a NYC diesel or a sour diesel, quote unquote, and it can, you know, be known for its uh, maybe high chirping content of geraniol and um, beta caryophylline. I'm just making some yeah. up um, and maybe a higher amount of THC and other cannabinoids. And, right. um, but it will, it will kind of always, uh, it, It'll vary every time it's grown. Um, so yes, we do need more, more investigation into it to see exactly how these uh, compounds work. Um, so in terpenes, yes, they are. They're very potent. Um, essential oils are very potent. Like you're saying, there's a lot of claims surrounding uh, essential oils and cannabinoids, um, specifically CBD and THC. So we do need more um, investigation, further investigation into it. Um, and the terpene isolates, I, I believe is what you were saying you were using in your studies, right? Yes. Purified so terpene. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and that's what, and that's what we use in, in our cream also. And we've been working with you on that as well, mm -hmm. um, because that's, that is the best way to find out exactly what the results are when you're working with these compounds, you need to isolate them. You need to find out what they do in the body. So, um, so yeah, terpenes are, there's a, it's a whole, it's its own whole world, but um, there's a lot of really interesting research, especially your research paper that you just published. So I want to talk a little bit about the interaction of terpenes with phytocannabinoids. So yeah. uh, here's an excerpt from your research paper that I'd like you to talk a little bit more about. It reads, phytocannabinoids, most notably Delta-9 tetro, tetrahydrocannabinol or THC, have been the main focus of research for mechanistic and therapeutic studies. While cannabis contains both of these 
families of phytochemicals. The terpenes have been less studied than the phytocannabinoids and the potential interaction between terpenes and phytocannabinoids when the plant is consumed for recreational and medicinal purposes has barely been studied at all. The hypothesized interactions between various phytocannabinoids and terpenes to produce unique outcomes from either chemical alone is known as the quote unquote entourage effect. The evidence for the entourage effect is comprised of deductive reasoning arguments, some clinical suggestions, and a few preclinical investigations. There is also skepticism within the literature and some evidence against cannabinoid and terpene interactions from preclinical studies. It remains unclear whether terpenes can influence the activity of cannabinoids, and if they do, whether this modulation is a result of direct influence on cannabinoid receptors, as with beta-caryophylline, or indirect modulation via other mechanisms. End quote. So, okay, so you basically state in your paper that the um, quote-unquote entourage effect is a hypothesis and yep. uh, not, not a not a very well supported one at that. Um, and you, uh, you list the evidence as to why it's not well supported. Um, you also state in the abstract um, of your paper, though, that your, um, let me quote it here, that your findings suggest that these cannabis terpenes are multifunctional cannabimimetic ligands that provide conceptual support for the entourage effect hypothesis yeah. and can be used to enhance the therapeutic properties of cannabinoids, end quote. So in the CBD world, the entourage effect is referenced heavily um, and marketed heavily, although uh, not proven to, to really exist. Am I yeah. correct in saying that? You are. So uh, my paper sort of cites the few studies that are available, but this is almost an unscientifically untested question. Um, so just as first principles, I think it's a pretty reasonable hypothesis. You, you, come, you, know, you take something into your body, whether it's smoking, consuming, eating, whatever, that has multiple you know, um, biologically active drugs in it, you know, THC, as well as, you know, the other minor cannabinoids like CBN and CBG and so on as, as, and CBD and the flavonoids and the terpenes, you take that into your body. And if you have multiple sort of, um, you know, drug-like active molecules, it just kind of makes a lot of sense that they're going to interact with each other and do something different than you would if you took either one alone. Uh, but again, there's, so there's some problems that are associated with that though, as I said, so basically untested in the literature, there are a few negative studies that actually tried to test it directly um, and that did not find an effect, but they really weren't what I would call definitive testing. They were using just, I don't, I can't get into the details here. It wouldn't make sense to you all, but it's just like really, really specific and also a cell culture model. So cells grown in a dish instead of like a living animal. And so I don't really consider that definitive. Um, and so it's, it's really untested. But on the other hand, like you say, you already have a lot of people out there in the world making all these claims or like, you know, if you do, you know, if you combine your limonene, you're going to get this and if you combine, you know, if you, and, and making a lot of claims. And so part of the impetus for this study was to test this question and to also put some real science behind any claims that could be made, you know, positive or negative to say whether or not this is really happening. So in other words, we scientists need to catch up with all of the rest of society, which is running way ahead of us <laughs> right. and saying that this is good and this is bad. So let's let's catch up and, and say what's good and what's bad. So that brings us to our study. 
So there were some really careful wording choices that we had to make. And the conceptual support is one that I would particularly highlight. So this study has not proven that the entourage effect is real. What it has shown is that when you take these terpenes in a purified form and inject them into animals, you get a cannabinoid-like effect. We show that they activated the cannabinoid receptor. They produce these cannabinoid-like behaviors in animals. And furthermore, when we combined the terpene with a cannabinoid injected at the same time, we saw a stronger effect in pain relief than either alone, suggesting that they can interact to boost each other up and in a way that would be beneficial. More pain relief is good, right? So that's the, the good part of our study, but let's, let's dissect that a little bit because the way we did this is we made some choices like using the purified terpene, injecting them uh, to, to take away variables like inhalation dosing variants or, or you know, consu oral consumption dosing variants. Like, so we really wanted to like boil the study down and, and really control it and really say what was going on. But that also makes it kind of, but that gives us power and lets us say what's going on, but also makes it kind of artificial. So the study that we did is nothing like smoking a joint and, and saying that the terpene in it is doing something yes or no. So that's why I say it's conceptual support. We show that these terpenes kind of can have this effect, at least when the dose is high enough. And you know they can interact with cannabinoid, at least in mice, to produce these greater effects. That doesn't yet prove that when you take cannabis through normal recreational method, you're going to get this effect. But I do think, based on our work, that if your terpene concentration is pretty high, and there are some pretty high, um, you know, uh, like extracts out there, there's terp-heavy extracts that even have five to ten percent terpene. I think if you're taking one of those, yeah, you're going to get some effects from that terpene. Whether or not that occurs in unprocessed plant that's just dried out and put into a joint, I have no idea yet. Doses okay. may not be high enough. Okay, so uh, the study does. So okay, is it? With that knowledge, is it safe to say that, yes, there, there is evidence, like the findings um, in your research paper, to support the activity of cannabimimetic ligands, um, that the effect that they have on the endocannabinoid system, and then, um, which then would further conceptually support yeah. the hypothesis of the entourage effect? Yeah, I think that's correct. And, okay. and that's why I used the conceptual support. That was kind of the wording that we chose to try to let people know that we haven't like, this thing isn't put to bed. We're still like, there's still a lot of ways to go. And, and plus two, I think you can define the entourage effect in different ways. So the critics tend to define it in the strictest possible way, which is the, the unprocessed plant. And then you, 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 know, you take the unprocessed plant. And if you don't get something from that, it's not real. But I would look at it a little bit more broadly. So there's a lot of different ways that people are taking in cannabis now. And particularly some of these extracts. And as I mentioned, you get to really high terpene concentration levels. And I do think that could be having an effect. And even if it wasn't having an effect, we could make something, right? That's terpene heavy. That would, that would hit the right doses as we've kind of shown and have the, perhaps have the beneficial effect that we want. And that's sort of the premise of our, of our funded now study is to look at this in chronic pain, our funded grant or soon to be funded grant to look at this in, in pain is the thought that, you know, even if it doesn't happen in native cannabis that you smoke, that doesn't really matter because we can make sort of a medicinal preparation of this stuff. We can make a cream or a tincture or an extract for vaporization or to be ingested or topical. There's a thousand ways you could do it that would get the terpene levels high enough that you should have some sort of biological effect based on what we've shown. And I'm not the only one that's shown that terpenes have some impact. Right, so there's we haven't even gone into it, but there's literally hundreds of research papers that will that do at least suggest that terpenes have these beneficial properties. 
Uh, and I can go into that and some of the problems with that literature too, if you want to. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you, you don't have the only research paper out there that, that suggests these, the support for the, the conceptual support for the entourage effect. And well, we, we do have that actually. Oh, oh well then <laughs> so, I completely take that back. And it, you do only have the research, you have the only research paper that uh, supports that. That, that we're aware of. So that, and we did okay. highlight that in, in the papers that were the first ones, as far as we're aware that combined a cannabinoid, combined a terpene and said, look, it produces something different. Right. Other people have Produce, have injected or in, you know ingested or whatever the terpenes it said the terpenes are doing something um, but not combined it with a cannabinoid is that yeah. right right and you guys used um the win 55 212 yeah. is that what it's called it, yeah that's it, a synthetic cannabinoid so that's another limitation of this study is it's not right. thc this is not something you're ever at least i hope you would never come into contact with this this chemical in your in the course right, of, right. of taking cannabinoids yeah so we did that for practical reasons because we don't have a schedule one license and it's really hard to get thc just due to the limitations that the federal yeah. government puts on us yeah. uh, so that's why we did that uh, so that's another limitation but you know that's how science works it's these small little steps and and then you know now that we've got some money and support we'll take the next step Right. This provides support for further investigation uh, and exactly. it, it's worth looking into because if we can help people uh, and you have so much experience in the opioid um, it, with opioid receptors in your in your studies yeah. and in your um, career, if we could help um, to mitigate or, you know, kind of shorten or uh, reduce the opioid epidemic because it's just oh my God, it's been horrible. And so if we could help with pain relief in a way that has reduced side effects, like you're showing with the terpene and the cannabinoids um, together to promote that cannabimimetic, um, the cannabimimetic ligands um, together on the endocannabinoid system, um, it would just be, oh my God, it would be incredible for so many people. Um, who are, are suffering from chronic pain. And there's a lot. Well, and, and we know this is this is all off label at this point. It's not like this is official, but we know of people that straight up say, you know, I, I take cannabis so I can decrease or sometimes even eliminate my opioid usage, right? So there's there's a lot of anecdotal patients saying that this makes a difference for them. And I'm not going to tell someone it doesn't make a difference in life. It does, it does. Uh, and if it gets them to take less opioids, that's wonderful. And then we're trying to put some science behind that too. And I know there's other people also looking at the opioid sparing effects of, of cannabis and cannabinoids. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whatever we can do. It's great. I know. I love what you guys are doing. I'm so excited that this research paper is out. Um, I know you had been talking about it for a long time because we've we've known each other for a few years um, and, and we work together. And um, it's just it's really it's a joy to see this kind of uh, research being published. And, um, you know, and we're we want to promote the heck out of it so we can get that information to as many people who need it. Um, so so cannabinoids, cannabimimetic ligands um, such as terpenes, the the hypothesis of the entourage effect that all of those don't really mean that much um, without the endocannabinoid system. Yeah. And we, we've spoken, um, we've spoken about the ECS on, on the show a few times before. Um, I had Dr. Rachel Knox on the show as my, my very first guest. And I always reference her because she's just so amazing. She's a, a clinical endocannabinologist and um, we just, again, barely began to stretch the surface um, of what the endocannabinoid system is. And so yeah. from what I understand from my conversation with her is that um, we understand the, the ECS in um, a very simplistic way right now. So, um, so there's, there's still a lot that we, we, we don't know yet. And, uh, but we do know um, 
of what I understand and what is well documented is that there are four main components um, to the endocannabinoid system. And they are uh, cannabinoid receptors that are like locks. Um, there are cannabinoid ligands that are like keys um, that you can put into those locks that create a downstream effect. Um, and then there are the, the enzymes that make up these endocannabinoids and the enzymes that uh, break them down. So uh, she mentions that uh, previously, um, she told me that previously this was thought of as like a closed circuit system. And now we know that that is just really uh, not the case at all anymore. Um, we know that the endocannabinoids work with many, many other receptor systems in the body, right? Like the opioid uh, receptor system, the serotonin receptor system. Um, so can you... Um, can you go a little bit more into detail on what we know about the ECF so far, um, how your research helps to support the hypothesis um, uh, of the entourage effect on the endocannabinoid system, and then maybe what you think we might find out in the near future about the endocannabinoid yeah, system? Absolutely. So you mentioned the, the, the locks, right? So the, the receptors, these are the little proteins in the neurons that, that sense the cannabinoids and then cause things to happen. So that's kind of where our research ties in most directly is that we show that our terpenes are like the keys. So you mentioned the, the endocannabinoids are like the keys that open the locks. Well, we also show that the terpenes can kind of do this like THC does, like whatever, nice. to, to activate the cannabinoid one. And actually it, I didn't, I don't highlight it much, but also the cannabinoid two receptor. We showed we have evidence for both being activated by these terpenes. And I think, you know, if it, you know, we still need to show all this, but I think that's going to be at least what's producing a reason or, okay, I should take a step back. So we actually did show then that the cannabinoid receptor activation in, in animals was responsible for at least some of the behaviors that we saw, specifically the pain relief behavior was, was responsible. So we know that our terpenes can interact with this endocannabinoid system, at least in terms of the receptors to then produce, produce some sort of behavioral response, some sort of change. And so that's how our work ties in. But the ECS as a whole is a really big topic. And I'm, I'm not probably the biggest expert on this topic. You could probably find people that know more. Uh, but it's really interesting because the cannabinoid receptor one, so that's the main target of, of phytocannabinoids like THC, that is one of the highest expressed receptors in your entire brain. So people learn about serotonin, they learn about dopamine, you know, all, all this, then it's all great that it, those are all really important. But right. CB1 is one of the highest expressed receptors in your brain, and it's basically everywhere. So it's what I would term a modulatory system. So it's kind of having this, you know, you know kind of fine tune the dial type effect on your brain and it's practically everywhere. So it's practically everything is gonna be impacted at one point or another yep. by, the, by these endocannabinoid system because there's so much of it and it's, and it's all over the place. Right. And the way it works is we're still don't fully understand it, but so the, the old view, or actually, I mean, still mostly correct view of neurotransmission is that you have the, the signals like dopamine or serotonin, they get packed in these little bubbles called vesicles in the, in the nerve terminal, and then they get released into the synapse, and that's how you get neuronal transmission. Well, the endocannabinoid system doesn't work like that at all. So first of all, the endocannabinoids are really uh, greasy, fatty, uh, lipophilic, so they, can, mm -hmm. they, they can't be packed into little vesicles. They just float right out of it, and they just kind of go everywhere. And so it's not really like a typical nerve gets stimulated, releases endocannabinoids, which then go on and do stuff. It's more like the enzymes are sort of constantly making this stuff, and that 
production can be ramped up or ramped down, but it's kind of always kind of making this stuff and it's always kind of floating around because you can't really control where it goes. It's too lipophilic. It just kind of goes everywhere. And then, so these, it's going to, it's not going to be like an acute thing, like, you know, dopamine or serotonin. It's going to be sort of this longer term modulatory, like kind of adjusting your level kind of system in your brain. Right. That's my view of it anyway. And then the other thing is that we don't actually even know what all the components necessarily are yet. So we've identified some of the endocannabinoids like uh, verotamine, uh, 2-AG, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, dios, oh, or, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Um, I was I was just trying to think of what you were saying. Uh, the other one starts with an A, right? Anandamide. Anandamide. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so anandamide, 2-AG, verotamine, a few others, I think people have kind of identified that. Um, but there's probably others and how they're sort of produced and, and controlled is still not well understood because they, they don't package nicely in these little nice little vesicles for us to look at, which is typically what makes it easy to study. Um, and then we don't even necessarily know all the receptors. So there's cannabinoid one and cannabinoid receptor two. Those have been known for quite a while. Um, a lot of evidence, recent evidence suggests that another receptor called GPR55 is also an endocannabinoid receptor. Right. And there may be others, which we don't know about yet. So there's still a lot of active investigation into all of this. So much. And I would really like to go on a deep dive with you um, on what everything you just spoke about, but we don't have much time left. So we'll have to have you back on to talk more about the endocannabinoid system and your sure. thoughts on it. But um, let's, I just want to touch a little bit um, on terpenes as uh, a non-opioid treatment for chronic pain. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read another excerpt um, from your research paper uh, regarding pain. And it reads, quote, if terpenes can be shown to modulate cannabinoid activity, it could provide a powerful tool to improve cannabinoid therapy. The main phytocannabinoids, THC and cannabidiol or CBD, work through cannabinoid and non-cannabinoid mechanisms to evoke therapeutic benefits, most notably treatment for chronic pain. However, However, efficacy in these studies tends to be modest and THC induces, induces burdensome psychoactive and somatic side effects. If terpene compounds modulate phytocannabinoids like THC, then it might be possible to identify terpenes that maximize therapeutic efficacy of cannabinoids while reducing unwanted side effects. Therapeutically, this could take the form of specific chemovar plant strains or purified and defined terpene slash cannabinoid mixtures, unquote. So this is like huge. Um, if we could use terpenes, you know, versus THC or maybe in conjunction with a small amount of THC or CBD, like you said, because, um, because THC, can be it's known for producing some unwanted side effects um psychoactive and somatic side effects yeah. um and that really keeps a lot of people away from from using it even though they're just suffering horribly with chronic pain but if we could combine um you know the cannabinoids with the terpenes or maybe even just use terpenes alone um that would be incredible so can you talk a little bit more about that how you guys yeah. um found that what you felt when you found that well in in your or sorry in that excerpt you read that's basically a teaser right so that that we didn't actually publish anything in chronic pain that was just saying that you when you inject them they look like cannabinoids that was the whole point of the paper and when you combine them with cannabinoid things happen yeah <laughs> that was the whole point of that so we just kind of left that in there as a teaser to say maybe this could be the future well that future is now so we haven't published it yet but we've been working on this in our lab for like the last six eight months however long it's been now 
And we're using a model of, of chronic pain called chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy. So that's a lot of words, but basically everyone knows that chemotherapy sucks. No one likes to be on chemotherapy yeah. and it can cause a lot of problems. And one of the problems it can cause is this ongoing neuropathic chronic pain that for some patients never goes away their whole life, even after right. they go off, even after they go off chemotherapy. Really hard to treat, even with opioids. In fact, opioids are basically not effective for treating this kind of pain. And so we can produce this type of pain in mice and we've tested the terpenes and they're actually much better at relieving pain in this chemotherapy model than they were in the very simple sort of heat, heat tail flick pain model that we used in that paper that you just quoted from. Just as effective as morphine and just as effective as a cannabinoid in producing uh, the pain relief um, and more effective than they were in there. And, and now we're digging into that, right? So we're digging into, uh, okay, it's producing pain relief, but how does it make the animal and thus perhaps the person feel? So we have different ways of measuring does the does the drug feel good? Does it feel bad? Like, oh, I can't believe I just took that. Or is it kind of in the middle where it's just neutral? We hope we're hoping for neutral. And in fact, we've started to now identify specific terpenes which have the profile that we want that relieve the pain, that don't produce aversive like bad effects, and also don't produce good like euphoria rewarding effects because that's a basis of addiction. We don't want that either. Right, right there in the middle. Um, and and so and now we're starting to dig into do they combine with uh, cannabinoid or do they combine with opioid even to produce better pain relief? And so far we've done a few experiments suggest they, they, they do. And we're looking into their own side effects to make sure they don't have side effects. Uh, so far, my favorite is geraniol. Um, so in, in all of our work so far, geraniol produces the greatest pain relief in this chemotherapy model and doesn't produce any aversive or rewarding, uh, behavioral effects and seems to combine with, with opioid to produce more, more pain relief. And, and so far is kind of my favorite, a strong anti-inflammatory effect too. Uh, something different, separate that we found, which I haven't even gotten into. Um, so, so far, geraniol is my favorite, but the idea is that we're, we'll dig into this more, kind of find the right one or the right mix or the right profile to sort of maximize the, the benefit, right? So maybe it's geraniol, maybe that'll be it. Maybe we can tweak the right geraniol THC combo, or maybe three or four of them, who knows, um, to get just that right mix that's going to that's gonna maximize the, the benefit without the side effects of THC and without the much worse side effects of like an opioid. Right. It's so exciting, the work you guys are doing. And like you said, these terpenes um, uh, showed that they were just as or more effective than morphine in these um, in these models that you were studying. Yeah. And, and that, so just to be clear to everyone, that's not published yet. So this is unpublished data in our, just in our lab. It hasn't been reviewed and all the rest of it. But yes, that's so, that's our initial result. Yeah. So sneak peek um, for everyone who's listening. Uh, be be sure to look out for this, um, this research paper and, and any research that comes out from Dr. Stryker, because this is the kind of research that you want to be referencing and you want to be educating yourself on when you're looking for a product um, that is going to have, like he said, you know, no adverse side effects and is going to be very effective um, when you're looking for pain relief, um, because that's what you're specifically focusing on right now is pain relief. Yeah. And I know that we're, we also are working on some anxiety studies as well, but that, that's, it's, it's all very, um, it's all very um, preschool or like, you know, it's, it's the beginning right now. So we're not, yeah. we're not really into it quite yet, but we are starting. Um, but the pain relief, the, the terpenes has shown a lot of um, support for uh, non-adverse, you know, non-opioid uh, relief for chronic pain. So just incredible stuff you guys are doing. Um, I wish we had more time to talk more about all of this because there's just such, um, you know, marvelous information and, you um, 
uh, results that you guys are having in the lab, but we'll have to have you back on the show because we have run out of time today. Um, So I want to thank you so much for being here, um, Dr. John Stryker. It was a pleasure having you on the show finally. And like I said, we'll definitely have you back on to uh, go deeper into the world of terpenes and the endocannabinoid system. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, and I'd also like to thank our producers and uh, Divine Element CBD for making this show possible. Join us next week for another episode of Hempire. Thanks for listening. And until then, stay well, keep learning, and we'll talk to you soon. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.